Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. We are special breakfast people here at Pantsuit Politics, but not just when Beth and I are on the road. The truth is I want something warm from the oven every Saturday morning and Sunday morning. It's just the truth. It makes it feel special, makes it feel exciting. I don't want to work at it. So the first time I ever saw Wild Grain, which is bake from frozen subscription box for sourdough breads, fresh pastas, and artisanal pastries, I was obsessed. You guys, I've been a member for over a year. It's amazing. It's so easy. Every item bakes from frozen in 25 minutes or less. No thawing required. You can fully customize your wild grain box. You can choose any combination of breads, pastas, pastries. You can even build a box of only breads, only pastas, or only pastries if you'd like. And for a limited time, you can get $30 off the first box, plus free croissants in every box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit to start your subscription. Sometimes I make one single croissant just for me because I want to feel special and they're so good. You heard me. Free croissants in every box. And $30 off your first box when you go to wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. That's wildgrain.com slash pantsuit. Or you can use promo code pantsuit at checkout. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. I think we are all right now witnessing in ourselves and our community leaders and our friends and our families. Just It's just bravery. It's just, you know, what they always say, bravery is not... The absence of fear, it's looking at it and saying, okay, okay, I'm going to keep going. And that's what we're all doing right now. We're scared. We don't know the future and we're being brave. This is Sarah and Beth. You're listening to Pantsuit Politics, the home of grace-filled political conversations. Hello, friends throughout the world. We're happy that you are here with us. We're happy to be together, even as we are distancing from one another physically. We're going to talk today, of course, about the latest with COVID-19. We are also going to talk about the Democratic debate. 
We have canceled our spring tour, as you are probably aware, and many of our speaking engagements in months after March are canceling as well or rescheduling. We appreciate everyone and your patience and your understanding. We're doing everything that we can here at Pantsuit Politics to be supportive of this community. If you can think of things that we can do better, please let us know. You'll be seeing our children in Instagram stories as we share the news with them in ways that we hope are helpful to you and your children if you are doing school at home right now. If your kids have things that they're making, feel free to send us an email and we'll do some Instagram posts sharing the artwork and all of the creations made during this time. We really want to thank all of you who are spending time with us on Patreon. We especially want to welcome Jared Minson, our new executive producer. Um, we have seen so much generosity and interest and support. And as we talked about during the debate last night, we've been thinking a lot about how our business exists just because you all want it to. And especially during this really difficult, uncertain time, thank you so much for continuing to support us. And before we start, we're going to continue opening up our shared meditations on the show, because you know what? We all need it. That's why we're doing it. So we have a new one that Maggie sent us that we think is really beautiful. Muses and Mother Memory, St. Gabriel, Genius, Buddha, Mother Earth, and whoever created the smell of newborn babies. You who offer inspiration, communication, creativity, love, and light to all without measure. You who offer grace and mercy You who stretch us and whose presence we invite into our conversation today. We ask for you to be with us as we consider what is, what was, and what might be. Let us honor those who are here, those who will hear, and those who will come after us. Okay. Deep breath. Here we go. There's lots and lots and lots of updates about COVID-19 since we were here on Friday, which was approximately six months ago. That's how long every day is. It's true. And by the time you hear this, there will be lots and lots more of updates related to COVID-19. So we're going to try to hit the high points and you can continue to stay in touch with us on social media and elsewhere as we follow along. So since we last spoke, Trump had given a national address that fell flat. So he came out again in the Rose Garden with all these experts and tried again. And it was slightly reassuring all the things that he was reporting, that Google was going to have this national website ready for all of us to click through and find the nearest drive through testing spot. Um, There was only a couple smallish problems with all these promises. The first smallish problem was that Google didn't know what he was talking about. (laughs) We're all going to laugh. It's fine. Here's, okay, that's the first one. The lot, the tests are still not out there, and they're sure as hell not in drive through form. It's fine. Okay, here's how I feel, though. Here's how I feel about this now. I know last time we were here, we were talking about your basket. You were just going to put, he's not up to this, in the basket. Cool. We were worried about your basket by Friday evening, fearful that the handles on your basket were going to break. I just feel like at this point on Monday, he's irrelevant. I feel like I don't no one cares what he has to say. I don't hear fear, hear people obsessing about his press conference. We, he got tested, he was negative. That's another update. But ever since we like learned that, I even feel like on Twitter and other places because governors and all these police places and leadership and communities have stepped up, I just think he's become irrelevant. He showed he's not up for it. 
That's not going to change. And so we've all had to just adapt and move on. I appreciated what you wrote in our newsletter on Friday, Sarah, about how this has you thinking about federalism, because I think we are seeing the benefit and necessity of leaders at state and local levels taking charge of things. I don't think it would be a great thing if the president decided for all of America that bars and restaurants were going to close, for example. Mm. I think it is a very good and important thing that governors are making those decisions, that large cities are making those decisions. That is not to excuse the lackluster and potentially devastating inadequacy of the federal government's Mm -hmm. response, because certainly the federal government has a role here. The trouble is the federal government's role was like a couple of months ago, and Mm -hmm. they didn't do it. And so now everybody's picking up the pieces, and it's a problem. But to your point, I think you're right that the relevance of the president when the federal government missed its moment um, and and has bungled what they've tried to do. He's bragged so much about these border closings and travel bans. And if you read anything about what happened in airports following those oh travel gosh. bans, it is it, it's unbelievable that this administration has been doing travel bans since he was elected and still does not understand how to manage that logistically within an airport. Mm-hmm. And so it has just been an abject failure, and he can't give this a nickname and w- yep, wish it away, there. you know? Yeah, I mean, the, the public health disasters that happened at the airport because everybody rushed, everybody flew home, and then what happened? Massive bottlenecks at customs and the testing and the screening. So people were standing on top of each other when we're all trying to keep social distance. It was a disaster. And I think what you see is when I'm contemplating federalism is this feeling like we have to pick, right? That we have to pick that the federal government is the best or the state government is the best and they should handle everything. And what we're seeing is, wow. The federal government has a role to play, and it's really bad when they don't. And, and, aren't we glad states and local communities can step up where the leadership lacks at the federal level? And there are plenty of lanes. Everybody should have a uh, have a lane here, right? And the federal government missed its lane. The story that blew my mind is the governor of Illinois, who basically tweeted like, what's going on at Chicago's airport right now is a disaster. Can't you guys get your shit together? And somebody asked him on a Sunday show, well, did the White House respond? He's like, yes, a White House staffer called me and yelled at me about the tweet. I mean, at that point, I'm just, you know, I only have so much bandwidth, okay? We all do. This is really stressful. This is really anxiety producing. I already knew that President Trump was a terrible president and a a terrible leader and wasn't going to vote for him in the fall, no matter what. So, you know, I have to save my attention for stuff that I think is important to share with you guys, that I think is important information for my family and my friends and my community. And I just don't have any more time, energy, or stress left to pay attention to him. He doesn't matter. He's irrelevant to this. And it's terrible that that's true of the president of the United States, but it just is. And so I'm just going to have to move on. I can't spend a lot of time Uh, commiserating about how extra terrible he is because we have actual terrible things to pay attention to and we have to do what we can, like supporting our local leaders and um, supporting our state officials. I have plans today to call my local representative and who's a Republican because he 
passed or he voted to pass the first economic stimulus bill on Friday night. And I want to make sure that he hears my voice saying good job because I'm just not going to I just can't spend time on how much extra awful these situations are revealing him to be. I think that's right. And I also think this kind of situation, we talked a little bit about this on Hot Mic during the debate, illustrates how very important it is to have some room for superlatives. It's really Mm -hmm. important that we're able to know when someone says, hey, this is really serious. When Dr. Anthony Fauci, the director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases, says the worst is ahead for us, it's really important that we're able to trust that. And I'm grateful for that reason that the president isn't the most important voice in this conversation because he's out of superlatives. He can't counsel yep. us as a nation in any direction yep. because of the extreme language that he uses about absolutely everything and how we've we've actually debated for 5 years now what whether to take him literally or seriously, right? And so <laughs> I'm grateful that we have public health experts who haven't been in front of microphones this whole time, who I I feel very confident when they say, no, this is the real thing. This is the thing we've been preparing for. This is the thing we've been concerned about. This is the thing that you need to pay attention to. So let's talk about this stimulus bill a little bit. It requires employers to accrue seven days of sick leave. 14 days of sick leave immediately when people need to stay home and reimburse small businesses. 50 employees are left for the cost of 14 days of paid leave. There's an emergency leave program, a billion dollars to expand food programs, and it's passed. It's There's some technical issues they're working out. It's going to the Senate. But, Beth, what I think is most promising about the fact that, one, this passed along bipartisan lines is that All of this stimulus stuff and these conversations are leading to a point where we have Mitt Romney basically calling for a universal basic income, that we're just going to have to give people cash for the next few weeks. That's right. And that's one of the only tools that we have left, because as we saw, the Federal Mm -hmm. Reserve cut its interest rate to zero and the markets still are just sinking and sinking. We have been doing economic stimulus when we didn't need it for so long now that all we got is something like direct payments to people. And I think those direct payments are going to be needed in much larger numbers than anyone is anticipating right now. Because even this emergency leave program created by the House bill that Nancy Pelosi and Steve Mnuchin worked together to negotiate, and let me say, I'm really happy that those two people are able to work together. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Even that emergency leave program, which I think is a good and important first step, gives eligible workers two-thirds of their average monthly earnings. I don't know a lot of people who can afford to have one-third of their income go out the window. And when that's happening for people who are, you know, employed somewhere, think about what happens to businesses of all varieties in in the context of something like this. I think lots of businesses want to continue to pay their workers. They don't know how to. Airlines are saying they could be bankrupt by May. I mean, we're going to need a really significant infusion into the economy And that is hard to do when we have been on such a spending spree for the last few years. Yeah, I mean, we're going to talk about the debate in the next segment, but Joe Biden had a really good moment where he was like, we've been doing using this as our only tool. 
And we're obviously going to need a lot more tools. And I think this conversation about cash payments shows you when the world changes so dramatically and the world has really changed in a very short amount of time. Schools are closed. All of us suddenly became homeschoolers, probably for the rest of the school year. But, you know, what I keep thinking about, and I just, (laughs) I think I sent you a text message about Japan. You did. Like, what? Several weeks ago. What do we think it was? I don't, I mean, it was probably two weeks ago. And it seemed bananas to me because Japan was calling off school for a month. And I thought, okay, look, they're just trying to do that to protect themselves against the Olympics. And literally days later, our school's off. I mean, they're telling us two weeks in Kentucky, but let's be honest. It's going to be longer than that if it's not till the end of the year. So we have schools closing. We have metros cutting service. We have Starbucks saying, you can come through the drive-thru. We have restaurants closing bars closing. I mean, this is a dramatic rearrangement of American life. And with that comes the opportunity to do and make these kind of dramatic changes we've all been talking about, that some of our institutions and some of our policies were built for a different time. And, you know, when you hit a crisis like this, it, it it's a moment to say, okay, well, what's not been working? And, If we can't all look at the Federal Reserve and what's happening there and say, okay, well, our regular tools are a little dated, and they might have been working for the top 1% really, really well. I'm starting to sound like Bernie Sanders here, but they weren't working for everybody else. You know, just juicing the stock market doesn't help hourly workers, and we're going to have to figure out what actually does. And now, all of a sudden, Andrew Yang, man of the hour. Well, it also just doesn't work when you don't use it in the other direction. I mean— There was a time when the interest rate moving would have made a big difference, but that was four years ago. The pressure that this administration has put on the Federal Reserve to keep that interest rate so low when we didn't need them to has contributed hugely to this problem. I think you're right that this is an opportunity in all aspects of our lives to really rethink things. I don't know the best way to do that because I think that... Nancy Pelosi and Steve Mnuchin were right to get this bill done, even if it's imperfect, and get it to the floor and pass it and start working on the next one. I applaud that leadership. I think it was the right thing to do. I also think people like Representative Justin Amash, who are really frustrated with the process, have a point. And I I think the right approach first is, is like the triage spirit. Okay, What do we need to do for the next couple of months? And as we have those discussions, what does that tell us about the longer term? Because I wouldn't want to see those really big picture fundamental changes happen through a process like the one that happened with this first stimulus bill. You know what I mean? I mean, it's hard. Look, I mean, there's a lot of you don't want us to be back with the. Iraq war, right? 9-11 happened. People wanted dramatic change and we got the wrong kind. And decades later, we're still talking about that was a terrible idea, right? So we don't want to, you know, I hope we take the the British World War II moment and get national health care and see something as like we responded in a way that really met the moment as opposed to sort of short-term payoffs that turned into long-term quagmires. And I think that's the difference, right? I mean, I think there's something to the triage mentality, but I do think there's something to 
okay, we're dealing with the moment and doing what we can now, but let's think about this. Let's think about what changes we can make right now when we have the ability to address some of these concerns and get everybody on board in a way that has is a long-term investment. Because I think so, sort of um, the, the problem with the Iraq war and these moments where we get we get caught up, it's, it's because it, it feels good in the short term. You know, I, I, maybe we should ask ourselves, anything we're doing to change things permanently in the long term in the face of this crisis should feel like a sacrifice at first. You know what I mean? Like it should feel like, oh, I don't know, this is going to be really hard. Are we afraid this is going to work? Not this, this is great. This is definitely the perfect solution and there w- won't be any problems with it, right? That's that's sort of what you read post 9-11 with this, the Iraq war, which is it's going to be great. We're going to get in. We're going to get out. It's going to be cheap and there's going to be no problems. You know, if we don't have a list of 15 problems when we're thinking about making dramatic changes like a UBI, then we're not doing it right, you know? Um, it shouldn't feel easy and it shouldn't feel uncomplicated. If we're going to change things in a big way, then we should have a, a long list of questions we need answered and some we may not be able to answer to feel like we're really doing something in the long term and not just a short term thing that makes us feel good right now. Well, I think that's a good test because the alternative becomes an opportunistic use of a crisis to do something that you thought needed to be done anyway, instead of an exploration mm-hmm. of wow, we're getting a glimpse at a future that is very uncertain. What do we need to do to prepare for that future? We've we've seen this virus hit an existing system that was already pretty shaky. What's that system look like if this happened three times a year? What does that system look like in the face of all kinds of other things? I mean, that's why I have always thought Andrew Yang is worth listening to, because I do think he's talking about UBI in the context of a future society, not the present one. And I think that's why that sense of sacrifice would be really present in any good proposal right now, because it's probably not going to make a lot of sense to us because the pace of change is accelerating so rapidly. Well, and I think that that's what's so difficult. The change is happening. There's a lack of leadership. And you can't stand firmly in the idea that we'll have a great answer and we'll figure this out for the future when we have so terribly failed to predict problems in the present, not just coronavirus, but the 2016 election, the 2008 recession. Like, we're, we're bad at this, and we have to acknowledge that. I get Readwise every day, which is a really cool service that will pull quotes from books you've read, like uh, highlights from your Kindle. And this one popped up today about the Undoing Project by Michael Lewis, which is about behavioral economics and the partnership that sort of sparked behavioral economics. And I thought this quote was so relevant. It says, the ability, quote unquote, to explain that w- that which we cannot predict, even in the absence of any additional information, represents an important, though subtle, flaw in our reasoning. You know, I think that this this thing humans can do, which is I see what's happened and that means X, Y, and Z is definitely going to happen, is really problematic. We are not great at that, but we're so good at convincing ourselves that we are. And our timelines have all shrunk down to, you know, we're not worried about, you know, climate change for seven generations in the in the age of a global pandemic. We're worried about us and our kids and tomorrow. You know, our timelines are shrinking down. There's a lot of fear. And so any major steps really need to build in and think through the flaws in human reasoning and the fact that we're just not good at this and we need to really 
Um, lean on the things that we know. Make sure we're asking a million questions. Make sure we're including everyone in the debate, as hard as that may be. It's just, it's hard. And, you know, I think we got a lot of this sort of give and take in the debate, which is what we're going to talk about in the next segment. But it's just, I know it's hard. And, and I, you know, I also don't want to just go ahead and zoom right past to, oh, here's the, here's the next stage of America and how we're going to, how we're going to solve all these things. Because I know right now that feels so far away and people are really struggling and stressed and anxious. And there's a lot of disinformation going around that creates even more anxiety You know, there's a lot going around that Trump can cancel the election, which is not true. Just rest easy, everybody. He can't cancel the election. It's set by federal law. And so that just, you know, that makes everything else harder. I really liked um, Stephen Erlinger's framing in The New York Times. He said that this has severed humanity from its conceit of control and of the invincibility of its institutions, science, technology, and democracy. And I think that That is both true and incomplete in that we have to let go of certainty, which is what we're real, real bad at as people, right? And let go of certainty about what science and technology can deliver, about what democracy can deliver, and at the same time, hold on to what they really do deliver well. Because the worst thing that could happen in the midst of all this is we write off science and technology. We write off democracy. We decide, Mm -hmm. in fact, that some form of autocracy is the way to handle a crisis. You know, we are in a really fragile moment, not entirely because of a virus, but because of the landscape that that virus is infecting and because of all the the other tensions that were surrounding it. And so we've got to be able to both understand and respect the ambiguity while being really sure what our of what our values are and being really willing to hear out expertise and follow it because when we don't know anything the people who know a little more than we do are really important here's another um while we're on the subject of let's lean on what we know in my own friend group circle we got a text message about Trump shutting the government down or shutting the country down for in the next 48 hours and go stock up. And that was also based on misinformation. I mean, the first red flag should have been like, this is coming from a CIA officer. Well, CIA officers aren't usually known for their blabbiness. If you're getting screenshots and text messages and you have red flags going off, lean into that. Lean into that because we're all so susceptible right now. I think that is another good reminder that you should you should go out and get your news, not let it come to you. You should go yeah. to the homepage of a website for a news organization, not see what comes up in your feed. This is just not a good moment for algorithms or memes or screenshots. Like, go to a place to find your news, whether it's a podcast or a, a website for a news organization or someone's Twitter three feed that's verified who you've been following forever and you know to work for a reputable organization. Because we're going to get a lot wrong in the midst of all this, and that is not helpful. I also think a lot of plans are probably being floated quietly at all levels of government because they need to be able to work things like that out. And some of it would probably sound horrific to us today, just as Sarah's text message to me about Japan closing its schools sounded horrific a couple weeks ago. Um, Mm -hmm. They're supposed to be talking lots of scenarios, including worst case ones. It does not help for us to get all spun up about that before it's time for it to actually be implemented. 
I think that today in our compliment section, we should hold space for all the people making really difficult decisions around Mm -hmm. coronavirus. I was talking with one of our listeners who is a coaching client of mine, and she owns a business that people come to to exercise and receive training on exercise. And it is very, very frightening to cancel those classes. And she is going to make the decision to do that and take those classes virtual. And that is hard. What she said to me that just almost brings me to tears is that, you know, people say, well, don't don't be governed by fear. You know, continue to live your normal life as though this were about terrorism or something else where we've trained ourselves to talk like that. And she said, what I'm realizing, though, is that when you keep things open and you don't listen, you're just leaning into fear of another kind. And Mm -hmm. I don't want to lean into that kind of fear. And I just am so moved by her and all the people making that kind of decision right now because they love their neighbors and their communities um, that a more global compliment feels in order to me. I think we are all right now witnessing in ourselves and our community leaders and our friends and our families. Just it's just bravery. It's just, you know, what they always say, bravery is not. The absence of fear, it's looking at it and saying, okay, okay, I'm going to keep going. And that's what we're all doing right now. We're scared. We don't know the future and we're being brave. We're stepping out. We're taking the next right step with our kids, with our family, with our workplaces, with our charities. And there's no one here to tell us this is the right thing to do. We're all having to decide that on our own. And that is what bravery looks like. That's exactly what bravery looks like, is not having anybody tell you the right thing when the stakes are very high and you risking vulnerability and illness, your own health and safety and making those choices. And I'm just, I'm proud of us. And I know that it's easy to get on the internet and to be in our own lives and complain about all of those not doing it right. But I just encourage everyone to also take one moment, 10 moments, a moment every (laughs) 10 minutes and look around at everybody doing it right and everybody prioritizing their communities and their families and social distancing and canceling things and making hard choices and making sacrifices and being brave. We're going to talk about the primary in the next segment, which I think the last debate was very relevant to the coronavirus moment right after you hear from our sponsor. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Just finished A Court of Thorns and Roses and craving another fantasy world to devour? Dipsy's got you. Dive into spicy enemies to lovers' tales or embark on an epic romance between immortal fae and sworn foes. They've got fantasy romance stories perfect for your morning walk, late night, or long bath. Dipsy is an app full of short, spicy audio stories. They bring scenarios to life with immersive soundscapes and realistic characters. Discover stories about second-chance romances, adventurous vacation flings, and hot and heavy hookups. And there's a growing library of fantasy series with werewolves, Greek gods and goddesses, 
Regency-era historical fiction, and fairy smut to explore the bounds of your pleasure. New content is released every week, so in between listening to your favorite stories again and again, you can always find something new to explore. For listeners of the show, Dipsy is offering an extended 30-day free trial when you go to dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. That's 30 days of full access for free when you go to D-I-P-S-E-A stories.com slash pantsuit. Dipsystories.com slash pantsuit. If you're looking for a very quick salon quality, but not salon priced manicure, Olive and June has you covered. We've talked about Olive and June's Manny system before. It has everything that you need for a professional manicure in one box, salon grade tools, your choice of six polishes. Those polishes are gonna last you for seven days or more. The cost breaks down to about $2 a manicure. Olive and June also has press-ons if you want. What I love though, is that Olive and June each season is coming out with new colors. And I just got a set of spring and summer colors in quick dry polish. And they say this dries in about a minute. It seemed dry to me in about 30 seconds. It was not kidding about being quick dry. I also love the light colors in this set. There is a huge range. My favorite one is called Kitten. It's like a pinkish gray. The quick dry polish gives you full coverage in one or two coats. It lasts for more than five days and it is offered in more than 40 cruelty-free and vegan polishes. Olive and June just understands what's happening in our lives, that we need to move quickly, but we want to look great and feel great and have fun in the process. Visit oliveandjune.com slash pantsuit for 20% off your first system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash P-A-N-T-S-U-I-T for 20% off your first Manny system. We had a debate, the 11th. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It was a debate. It was different in many ways because there was no audience, which I think is a change we should keep. Oh, so much better. They still stood at podiums, which I think is something we should abandon. But they stood fairly they, they were very far, far apart each other. Yes. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it was just two people instead of the very crowded stages we've had to this point. So that significantly altered the dynamic as well. So it was Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders. And the first half, they really focused on COVID-19, the outbreak, their different approaches. And and I think truly, you know, you've been saying this forever. A presidency is defined by the crisis and how people respond in a crisis. And we got a really good sort of illustration of how these two feel about the world in a crisis is. I think the, the pull quote was, Joe Biden saying people want results, not a revolution. He was very focused on what are we going to do right now to help people? He channeled his, you know, former experience combating Ebola across the globe. And he, you know, had, I think, one of his best debate performances in the first half, just calm, collected. This is what people need. And I think Bernie really focused on the idea that this is a healthcare crisis, and this just reflects all the problems with our healthcare crisis, and that's why we need Medicare for all. And, you know, I said this on our hot mic. I just think, you know, if he was winning and he had a delegate majority, he could keep sort of marching to the beat of his own drummer. But, you know, that's not the case. <laughs> he doesn't have the delegate majority. He's got primaries coming up that are even less friendly to him. So I'm confused by this. I'm just going to keep beating the same drum approach. I think what we saw is that Bernie Sanders is an outstanding activist, and that's about as far as it goes. And that is okay. 
It's hard to be an outstanding activist and also someone who would be an outstanding president because the job of president is in so many ways an administrative job more than an activist job. And so I think the limitations of of what he's capable of, along with the real strengths that he brings to the campaign trail, were on full display. And they squared really well with this piece that Ben sent us several weeks ago. Um, Ben has been a listener for a long time and is someone who always engages with us so thoughtfully. And he sent us an article about a podcast that lots of really sort of hardcore Bernie Sanders people love and about how that that podcast has live events and the underpinning emotion of the whole kind of movement is anger and that people really like feeling that anger together. There's a sense of community around being angry together. Now, none of this is for me, right? But I understand what people are looking for and finding around Bernie Sanders. The problem, and the article points this out really nicely, is that that's not a governing philosophy, and we saw that demonstrated for us very clearly by the Tea Party, that you can't Mm -hmm. govern with a Tea Party mindset. You can be an activist, and you can say important things, Mm -hmm. and you can influence those who govern, but you can't govern that way. And I think what Bernie said about coronavirus showed that he is not someone who can govern through something like this. I think that is 100 percent correct. And I think Bernie and Trump, to a certain extent, I don't think they're equivalent. Let me be clear about that. But they are both good when you are angry. But most people are not angry right now. They are afraid. And that requires something different. It's why Trump is failing. It's why I don't think Bernie is going to come out triumphant from last night's debate performance or in any primary contest moving forward. You know, we have a friend who does the most amazing job at serving the community. And he has a real heart for those who live in poverty. I think he lived in poverty himself. And he You know, we've had all these local controversies and people just are so nasty and getting so mad. And he told my husband, you know, I think people are mad about that they're not making as much money as their parents or their lives aren't getting better and their kids aren't lives going to be better. And they're just not sure what to be who to be mad at. And I think, you know, my one big compliment to Bernie Sanders is at least he's directing the anger at the right places. You know, I think the reason people catch fire with him and they don't leave him is because they feel like he's named this anger in his explanation about why I ha- why I feel so angry and left behind is spot on. And, you know, I, I know people feel the same way about Trump. I just personally think <laughs> that, you know, the reason I don't make them equivalents is that Bernie Sanders is not a liar. Bernie Sanders is not a crook. Um, he's just an activist. And he does, and he, like you said, and he does... He's a lifelong politician, and I think he's named a lot of these things correctly. I just don't think that means he would be a good president. You know, I think that Bernie Sanders is not at all wrong about the state of our health care system in the country. I don't know that he has the right answer mm-hmm. for that. But certainly it has been jarring to see statements like the one that came out of Norway classifying the U.S. health care system as a poor one. Um, it's been it's been hard and it is hard to think about how unprepared we were for this virus. And so I think he continues to have something important to say in making that criticism. The trouble is and 
This is what I thought was on full display Sunday night during the debate. You could have a perfect healthcare system and still have a crisis. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And you can't, as president, put all the crises on hold while you create the perfect canvas for those crises to land on. And that's, again, why I say the presidency is an administrative job as much as anything else. You really need someone who can have lots and lots of people moving in multiple directions all the time. And some of those people are going to be managing a current crisis, and some of them are going to be looking toward a future, and some of them are just going to be like making the present continue to happen. And it's a lot. And it's why I get really nervous about adding responsibility to the federal government's plate, because I don't think we're juggling the balls that it holds right now very effectively. And it was Mm -hmm. as unideal, is that a word, as unideal as I find Joe Biden, and I do, I found him remarkably comforting in this debate. I thought that he had the kind of presence that I want to see on my television when there is a Rose Garden address or an Oval Office Mm -hmm. address. I thought he knew what he was talking about. It was the sharpest that he has been in any debate. I wondered where this guy has been the whole primary. I think there are a bunch of different reasons for that. But I really did feel much more confident in him as the nominee and the person that I will be voting for in the general election after this debate than I did before it. And I didn't really think he could pull that off. Maybe my expectations were exceeded because they were so low. Yeah, he definitely did. I think he thrives on a smaller field, right? I think most people would. It gives you, you feel less under his tack. You have the ability to shine. And also, what does he have to be stressed about? (laughs) He pretty much has this in the bag. I mean, I'm glad we had the debate, but as far as I'm concerned, this is over. And because of that, can we talk about the super, super bright spot during this debate and very, very smart political move Joe Biden made by pledging to pick a woman as his vice presidential candidate. What I thought was so brilliant about the way he executed that was that he said it as though he knows who it's going to be. He said it like it is done. And it made Senator Sanders' response to the same question look really bad, Mm -hmm. like cringeworthy bad. Mm -hmm. And it's just, it's comforting. That's another thing. When you think about what do we need post-Trump I really want a president who has asked a yes or no question and gives a yes or no answer. And he did that. It is so rare for someone to say yes, especially about who they're going to appoint for something. I mean, that is the cagiest subject of all subjects in Washington, D.C. And for him to just say, yes, I'm going to do that. I don't know. It kind of made me physically relax for a second. I mean, I had already made clear that I felt very strongly they would both pick a woman. But I I was 95% sure that Biden was going to pick a woman. I'd already said that if he did not, I would be taking to the streets and burning some stuff down. So good, because we don't have time for any of that for right now. So good that I didn't need to do that. But just hearing him say it, I mean, the idea that we know who the nominee is going to be, it's going to be Joe Biden. I probably shouldn't say that. That's probably just going to like up in the universe. Anyway, I feel like the universe is busy. It's safe to say that. It's going to be Joe Biden. He's 77 years old. He's already said, I hear, I feel like I'm a bridge to the next generation. Um, he's going to pick a woman. And I can just, I can see it. I can see it. It's, it's right there. It makes me so happy. I did have a few people sort of do like, well, John McCain did that. 
And I don't love that response. It makes me very defensive. Um, the idea that he shouldn't have pledged to pick a woman because it should really just be about the strength of the candidate because then you might get a Sarah Palin. Like, I just, maybe you can hear the contempt for that sort of analysis in my voice, but I don't I don't have a lot of patience for that. Sarah Palin doesn't prove anything except for Sarah Palin is terrible and was a bad pick. But that doesn't mean anything about Joe Biden pledging to pick a woman. Well, and a big problem for Sarah Palin is that she didn't work hard enough to go from her current position to the next one. She just didn't. You can Mm -hmm. listen to all sorts of people who worked on that campaign, and all of them say she refused to work hard enough to do this well. There are so many people Joe Biden could pick who are ready to step into this position. We've just vetted several of them extensively in a campaign Mm -hmm. for the presidency. He has so many choices. So the idea that he would also pluck someone out of relative obscurity, he's not going to make a risk, take a risk like that. I don't think there's any Mm -hmm. way that he makes a choice that is as risky as the Sarah Palin choice was. And he has an embarrassment of riches to choose from. And talking about it in any other way is so insulting to all women. The idea that the only Mm -hmm. options available might be a Sarah Palin-type choice, it's ridiculous. Thank you. You're welcome. I really feel very seen by the righteous fury in your voice. Thank you. You are welcome. I share that fury with you. Yeah, I just, I'm not here for that. Um, So the rest of the debate was a lot of like, but you voted 30 years ago. But you said 20 years ago, but you voted, but you sponsored, but you had an amendment. And I didn't pay that close attention to that part of the debate. So I'm just going to say that up front because I don't care. And it seems really dumb and irrelevant right now in the (laughs) middle of the coronavirus. I'm just being honest. Well, let me see and affirm you're not caring in this way. Sarah and I have talked many times about our desire to age as gracefully as possible. And skincare is a huge piece of that. I spend a lot of time and money thinking about my skin, and I have added Ritual to my routine, which just gives me a lot of comfort. Ritual is here for us. They have created a wrinkle support skin supplement and conducted clinical studies, so we know it's working. They're taking the guesswork out of skincare. Ritual Hyacera is one of several Ritual products that I love. I take the daily multivitamin, I take a probiotic, And Hyacera is that once daily skincare supplement that is clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. I recently met a friend for the first time in person as opposed to online. And we were discussing the fact that I am 43 and she said, I cannot believe how young you look. And I thought, thank you Ritual for that. Start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash pantsuit. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash pantsuit for 25% off. There's not much worse than a dry energy scalp. Also, when you get your hair colored and then it does not last as long as you and your stylist discussed, it could be that unfiltered, mineral-filled water is the culprit. Hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin, and about 85% of the United States uses hard water, filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered shower head comes in. Canopy, known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, has revolutionized the filtered shower head. 
dermatologists recommended this unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water, leaving you with healthy hair and glowing skin. Best of all, the Canopy Filtered Showerhead is hassle-free. Installation is a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement unlike any others on the market. Go to getcanopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy Filtered Showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, our listeners can use code Pantsuit at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Do you want a bra that's sexy or a bra that's comfortable? Thanks to Third Love, you can have both. Third Love was started to take all the frustration, ick, and ugh out of bra shopping. That's why they make solutions for every bra problem, aka problems. Their bras make it easy to bring back perkiness you haven't seen since high school, get smoothing you know where, and have straps that actually stay put. Designed at their headquarters in San Francisco and made from premium materials, they put every style through hours of wear testing on real women, including themselves, before it's given the stamp of boob approval. Comfort and support are guaranteed. Plus, whether you're a double A cup or an H cup, their virtual fitting room will help you find your perfect fit fast. And they've even invented half cups. No more feeling stuck between two cup sizes that don't fit right. It's time to get your problems solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get 15% off your order with code PODCAST15. I read several fact checks of this debate this morning. It was a really difficult debate to fact check because the truth is neither of them tell just the sort of blatant lies that the president tells regularly. Mm -hmm. He's easy to fact check as long as you can Mm -hmm. manage the volume. With with these two, there are not overt lies. It's just an incomplete snapshot. And that is the trouble with trying to spar over Senate records, because there are multiple versions of bills. And you might have supported one version, but not the other. And that doesn't mean that you didn't support the spirit of it or the concept. And you might have said something in one debate based on the context of that debate. But that doesn't mean that you are that you were in the wrong in the way the other person's trying to characterize. And it looked to me from all the different sources that I that I read this morning, like they were about even in terms of using the past record in a way that isn't exactly right. The summary is, if you are a senator, you take a lot of votes and it's very nuanced. And mm-hmm. sometimes you take a vote. And this is where I wish I wish Biden would have said this a little bit more affirmatively. Sometimes you take a vote because it's the best that you could get. And it's still pretty good. And that, again, is where Senator Sanders is an activist. Pretty good isn't good enough for him. And so he votes yep. no on everything that's not exactly right. And that's fine. But let's understand it for what it is. And I don't think that he was lying when he said, go look on the YouTube. There's Joe Biden saying these things. I mean, he didn't say anything that was just beyond the pale about Biden. And Biden didn't about Bernie either. And also, both of them said things about each other's records that didn't paint a full picture of what the other one was trying to accomplish in those moments. All of which is to say, I think you are right to not care too much about that part, Sarah, because it's not very useful. Where you were on a particular Senate vote 20 years ago is not very useful in telling us how you would manage the kinds of things that are coming to the Oval Office 
today and for the foreseeable future. If up on the stage had been Joe Biden and Pete Buttigieg and that was it, then maybe we could talk. Because if you have no record, then it's a lot easier to tear apart the record of somebody who has decades of record. But when you just got two dudes with decades of record, it doesn't work as well. Because then he can go, well, oh, you yeah? Well, you voted this way. Oh, yeah? No, I didn't. What are you saying? You know that's not true. Like that part, I just muted. I'm just going to be real. I just muted. I was like, I can't, this, I can't with you guys right now. I'm sorry. I love you. I can't. I can't do it. Fortunately, there are no more debates scheduled right now. We will see if we have general election debates. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Should we stop and tell the people and just so they're, you know, so everybody doesn't have some expectations that you and I both agree perhaps could be unrealistic in that both you and I believe there will not be general election debates between the presidential candidates because we believe Trump will not participate. As much as we try not to make prognostications about this election, because historically we don't have a great track record on those. Um, yes, mm-hmm. we mm-hmm. talked about this. We are in agreement that we think it is highly unlikely that Donald Trump will debate the Democratic nominee in advance of the general election. If he does, we will be here for it. We will watch it. Mm-hmm, we will mm-hmm, mm-hmm. hot mic it. We will analyze it. We will be thrilled because that is important to the health of the democracy, even as debates are quite limited in what they accomplished for us. But we think that it is very unlikely. I mean, I just don't think he'd be putting out there, well, I'm only going to do if the rules are fair, if he had already decided he wasn't going to do it. I mean, I'm just saying. I am sad to see these come to an end in a weird way. It was a really fun experience last night in our community, especially when I had them muted. <laughs> And I was just talking to you guys. You know, these have always been a huge part of the pantsuit politics community, these debates. I think we learn a lot about policy. It's like almost through osmosis, you know. You, like, know a lot about fracking by the end, whether you want to or not. And, you know, I think they're really important exercises that we go through. And I'm kind of sad to see them coming to an end. I'm kind of sad to see the primary coming to an end. I never, never, ever thought I'd say that. And there are lots of people who still need to vote. As of the time that we are recording... Louisiana and Georgia have postponed their upcoming primaries due to coronavirus. Florida, Illinois, Arizona, and Ohio are slated to vote and are going to continue as planned. We will update you as we know it about any other changes to the primary schedule. But it's a lot of people in the United States who haven't voted yet. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens with turnout And just kind of the numbers break down in terms of who gets out to vote in the midst of all this. And that could be not great for Biden because the activists will vote. And a lot Mm -hmm. of people are probably feeling really comfortable that Biden has this locked up and could decide to stay home, uh, which is a choice that I would understand given all the risks. And so um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens from here. Well, we will be here with our children making lots of noise in the background. The entire time, probably, (laughs) or at least for the next few months, weeks, weeks. Let's stay positive. Weeks. Thank you for the grace um, working through this. Sarah, what's on your mind outside of politics? I mean, if the coronavirus is politics, nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, right now I'm spending a lot of time learning about homeschooling and homeschool schedules and homeschool resources. I mean, truthfully, What I'm spending, whatever remaining mental energy I have is making sure that I'm really ratcheting up my stress relief because this is a highly anxious, highly stressful time. And I'm just trying to say more yoga. 
I've stopped. I stopped meditating a long time ago because I was doing yoga every day. I'm going to add meditation back. Um, journaling. I'm just throwing. I have like a real kitchen sink approach to stress, and so I'm just throwing every possible thing at this dramatic change in circumstances. I'm kind of doing the same thing, but through the framework of less, uh, less time on email, less scrolling social mm-hmm, media, mm-hmm. less sense of like, let me respond to this right away. I'm just trying to really turn down the volume, dim the lights. <laughs> While we were doing our homeschool this morning, we lit a candle, we turned on classical music. I'm just trying to keep it all really peaceful and easy around here. We hope that it is as peaceful and easy as humanly possible where you are. That will look very different depending on your circumstances. And we love the ways that the internet allows us to stay in touch with all of you on the news briefs in the morning, on Nightly Nuance at night, here on this podcast, and as much as humanly possible until we are in your ears again. Keep it nuanced, y'all. Dylan Garvin produces Pantsuit Politics every week. Thanks for making us sound better, Dylan. Elise Knapp is our managing director, which means we could not make it without her scheduling, organization, feedback, and creativity. Thank you, Elise. We couldn't make Pantsuit Politics without support from our listeners. Go to patreon.com slash pantsuitpolitics to learn how you can receive more nuance and help us make the show. Special thanks to our executive producers who have committed to supporting us in a major life-giving way. Our executive producers are Tracy Putoff. Tim Miller, Martha Branitsky, Tiffany Hasler, Joshua Allen, David McWilliams, Amy Whited, Allie Edwards, and Jared Minson. Our theme music is composed and performed by Dante Lima. The music under our ads is composed and performed by Dylan Garvin. Learn more about our lives, live events that we're involved in, and what we're reading each week by signing up for our weekly newsletter at pantsuitpoliticsshow.com. And connect with members of the Pantsuit Politics community by following us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter.